Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I have a couple podcast-related things to cover. First, we just launched our brand new merch store. We have some cool new logo gear available, and this is a great way to support and represent the podcast. You can check out the merch store at disturbedpodcast.com slash shop. Now, in addition to that, all Patreon fan club members will get 15 to 20% off any order in the merch store. How cool is that? So here's what you can do to get the best bang for your buck. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club and get yourself into the Patreon fan club. There's two tiers of benefits you can choose from, and while you're there, take a look at everything you'll be getting. It's not just a store discount. You'll get ad-free podcast episodes 24 hours early as well as a shout-out on the podcast, bonus episodes, and of course, that store discount. Once you're in the fan club, you'll get an email with your promo code to use in the store for your 15 or 20% off. Then head on over to the store and grab yourself a Disturbed logo t-shirt or a hoodie or maybe even a phone case. Your support from Patreon and the merch store helps us cover expenses like web hosting fees, audio equipment, among other services, and is greatly appreciated. Now, secondly, this episode features female narrations by the talented Alexandria Tucker. The stories she covers in this episode are actually her own personal experiences. Alexandria co-hosts a YouTube channel with over 236,000 subscribers that I highly recommend. They cover a lot of similar things we do here, like mysterious and solved cases. So make sure you check out the channel and hit the subscribe button. The link is in the show notes. Alexandria will also be contributing more narrations to the podcast in the future. Now that we have all that covered, let's get into this week's episode. This episode contains real experiences shared through Reddit. Listener discretion is advised. This first story is a real Reddit submission by user DK325. This occurred in 2017, and is 100% true. Due to a multitude of factors, including a recent death of a close friend, I was unbearably depressed at this time in my life. For that reason, my family flew across the country to visit me in LA, where I live. We thought it would be nice to visit Catalina Island. When we arrived, it became apparent to us that it was the off-season. It was late November, the weather was cold, and as a result, the island was nearly empty besides locals and a few straggling tourists such as ourselves. Our first priority was to ditch our luggage so we could explore the island. So we immediately checked into our hotel, though that word hardly does the place justice. I call it a motel because all the doors to the rooms exited to the outside but in actuality, our room was one of 20 to 30 quaint guesthouse looking buildings arranged in sort of a horseshoe shape around a walkway, 
with rooms on either side of the path. The entrance to the motel was essentially one of the points of the horseshoe, and if you walked dead straight, you'd reach the rooms we were given, essentially on the corner, before you have to go right to go further into the horseshoe. So, from our room, one path led back to the street, the other further into the secluded maze of rooms. Stay with me. After a day of exploring and having just finished dinner, it was time for the cold, dark walk back to the room. Catalina Island is a decent distance from the mainland, and let me just say, it gets dark. Similarly dark was my headspace, after the dinner conversation took a left-hand turn and my overwhelming depression got the best of me. I pulled my black hoodie tighter over my freezing ears and walked ahead of my parents to the hotel room, telling them I just needed to go to sleep. And I did immediately. Depression sometimes makes that easy. I was already losing consciousness as they entered after me, drifting off without so much as a good night. I then woke up to my mom, saying my name, a harsh whisper. The room had two beds, my parents' bed closer to the door and mine further in the room. My mom's voice cut through the silence again. She sounded concerned for me. I didn't blame her, considering my mental state at the time. Groggy, I rolled over. What? I asked. As my eyes adjusted to the dim moonlight coming in through the curtains, I saw her turn to face me. She was surprised to see me in my bed. Her eyes got wide. If I'm in my bed, who was she talking to? We both looked back to where she was previously looking to see a hooded figure in all black standing over their bed. Now, you should understand how horrifically startling it is to be on an island in the middle of the ocean and wake up to see a hooded stranger looming over you. This moment seemed to last forever. Life isn't like the movies, where characters unleash a blood-curdling scream. Sometimes, the only thing that comes out is something panicked and guttural. My mom's words became low and severe as she said my dad's name in a dire voice I've never heard her use before. Then, the hooded figure did something so bizarre and unsettling. It didn't advance towards us, but instead crouched in the corner near where it stood. The way it crouched was so absolutely unexpected even in regards to this already unexpected situation, that it terrified me. It seemed animalistic. I knew two things. The hooded figure had been standing over us sleeping, and it's not acting in any sort of way that I can understand. As opposed to the infinite moment of this figure standing over us mere seconds ago, the series of events that unfolded when my hulking ex-military dad woke up happened in an instant. Suddenly, we were out the door, not knowing which way the intruder went. My mom was screaming, get him, get him. 
My dad was running down one path of the horseshoe, further into the hotel, shouting through sheer adrenaline, I'm going to fucking kill you! I ran down the other path, towards the street. When I got there, not a sign of the intruder. But it became suspiciously quiet behind me. I ran back to the room to find my dad quietly walking back, his head low. He gets really close to me and I hear him say, It's a fucking kid. Here's the explanation. Some young teen, tall and lanky as I am in my 20s, wearing all black including a black hoodie, went into the wrong room. Our room. The one time my parents just so happened to forget to lock the door. My mom woke up when he entered, and seeing a tall person in a black hoodie, thought he was me, assumedly leaving the room in a depressive episode. When the hooded figure crouched, that was him realizing his mistake and panicking. He was scared of us. As I got back to the room, my mom walked out and hugs this kid, who is now crying his eyes out. I would be too if a massive ex-soldier was sprinting after me with murder in his eyes. So, to the now traumatized kid from Catalina Island, I look forward to hearing your let's not meet of this same event from your perspective. This next story is a real experience by Alexandria Tucker. I had just rented a car with my best friend. We're both in our late 20s. We needed it for her new job, so I went with her to help the process. We got the car and left the lot. As we approached the freeway on-ramp, while using Google Maps as we were unfamiliar with the area, there was a line of about five cars in the median. We waited until the double yellow lines broke to cross into the turn lane, but in order to do so, we had to cut off somebody else that had already lined up in the median. Technically, they were doing something illegal as to wait in the median you would have had to cross the double yellow line instead of just waiting in the legal lane to get to the turn lane, but that is neither here nor there at this point. It was a red light, so it was not like we caused him to miss the light by going in front of him, but we of course waved and smiled our thanks. The man we accidentally cut off looked furious at our perceived slight and just glared at us from behind. We thought such an extreme reaction to this was unwarranted, but were not phased. When the light turned green 30 seconds later, he stayed right on our tail as we merged onto the freeway. As we all crept onto the on-ramp, he was so close it felt like he was going to hit us. I turned around to casually look back and instantly remarked, He looks like a straight-up serial killer, dude. White, late 50s, he had white scraggly long hair and a patchy layer of white facial hair. He was glaring at us like we kicked his dog, and we were miffed by his anger, but didn't feel too unsafe being that we were both in a car on a freeway on-ramp. Suddenly, he pulls into the shoulder and paces us, so he is right next to me, the passenger. I tried not to look, as it was clear he was doing this to intimidate us, but after a few seconds, I hazarded a curious look. He was maybe five feet away smiling like the Joker, holding a gun and waving at us. I screamed, he's got a gun, get over, get over, but the traffic on the actual freeway was far faster than ours, and we weren't yet up the ramp, so we were stuck. He maintained the speed that paced us and attempted eye contact with us while shaking the gun by his face and smiling manically. Luckily, it was only a few seconds until we were able to get in a different lane, 
and he, probably realizing that we would be able to see his plates, quickly merged off onto a different freeway. We didn't get his plates, so we didn't call the cops until a couple days later. I was encouraged by the wonderful people of Reddit to submit a report. When I called the cops, they transferred me to Highway Patrol because it happened on the freeway, and unfortunately, Highway Patrol said that there's really no way to see his vehicle as the traffic cameras that they use only record on a loop, and they wouldn't have them multiple days later. Anyway, man on the freeway with a gun, please let's not meet. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows hi i'm matt harris seaton tucker and i host the podcast impact of influence which for two years covered in depth Alec murdoch who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife maggie and son paul that story continues to evolve and we will cover that plus we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. This episode is made possible by Supporty. Are you struggling to stay motivated to the goals you've set for yourself? Maybe you're trying to wake up earlier, but you keep hitting that snooze button. Or maybe you're trying to cut back on sweets, but you find yourself opening the fridge when you're stressed out. Well, One of the best ways to make lasting behavioral changes is by an accountability partner who will help you stick to positive daily actions. So how do you find a reliable accountability partner who is going to engage with you and keep you honest? Supporty is a mobile app that matches you with accountability buddies for a week at a time. Supporty pairs you and a buddy up one-on-one. That's for maximum accountability. Plus, it's mutual, so you encourage your buddy and they encourage you each day of your seven-day session. What's really cool is you can see whether your partner accomplished their daily actions and they can see whether you've done yours too. If you want a more effective way to stay motivated, experience the difference of an accountability partner. 
Download Supporty, that's support with an I at the end, from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store, and make sure you choose Disturbed Podcast when you create your account to start your two-week free trial. You can check out the show notes of this episode for more details. Get encouragement, get motivated, and achieve more with Supporty. This story is a real Reddit submission by user Quick Under the Bed. Growing up, I lived in a small farmhouse set on two acres. Although it wasn't a working farm, we did have an assortment of animals over the years. My mother was a vet and also spent a lot of spare time rehoming and caring for sick, abused, or neglected animals. It was a peaceful place with the happy hum of birdsong and wildlife to remind you that you weren't in the city. There was a walking trail through the wooded area behind our property. During the warmer months, tourists, hikers, and campers would frequently use it. I was a bookworm and used to spend a lot of time in our barn. It was set towards the back of the property along the fence line and it was quiet. Tending to the animals and reading all my books in there took up a lot of time, so I would often hear people talking and laughing as they stomped along the trail. When I was 10 years old, I usually returned home from school about an hour before my mother finished work. I was a mature kid, and she knew she could trust me to catch the bus home and start on my chores. This particular day, I hopped off the bus, let myself into the front gate, and trudged up the dirt driveway to the house. While inside, I fixed myself an after-school snack, a good old-fashioned PB&J and a glass of milk. I took my snack with me out the back door and made my way toward the barn. I knew my afternoon routine like the back of my own hand. Right at that very second, our dogs should have been running up to greet me as they usually did, barking and circling around my legs bums wiggling happily. On this day, I couldn't see them anywhere. I called for them. They didn't come. But I did hear muffled barking start up from the barn. That was really weird, because we never locked them in the barn. During the day, they were outside, and at night they would sleep inside with us. I put my snack down on top of the old tree stump nearby, and went to open the barn to check on the dogs. The three of them rushed out and greeted me happily. They were fine. From the door, I quickly glanced around the interior of the barn. There was no one in there. Quiet as usual. Maybe my mother had locked them in that morning for some reason. Or maybe the wind had blown the barn door shut and the dogs had been inside. I wasn't too concerned. I retrieved my snack and settled on a hay bale inside. The dogs sat at my feet as I shared little bits of my sandwich with them. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a tall, skinny guy with long, messy, gray hair walk straight by the entrance of the barn. I could hear him making strange, babbling sounds. It sounded like he was talking in tongues, the way some people do when they go to church. Strangely, my dogs barely reacted. They looked back at the door, wagged their tails a couple of times, and focused straight back on my sandwich. This was not normal. 
my dogs would usually react to a stranger on the property. A tiny bit of fear nagged at my stomach, but not too much, because I was a kid and my dogs seemed happy enough. I tiptoed to the doorway and peeked around it to get a better look at him. He was really tall, and so skinny that his ribs and spine were quite visibly jutting out. His hair was a rat nest, and so was his beard. He was now bent over our chicken coop, searching inside for eggs, I assumed. He pulled an egg out and ceased babbling as he studied it for the longest time. He said something to the egg that I couldn't hear, then put the whole thing in his mouth and chomped down on it. He was missing his front teeth, and the yellow yolk ran down his chin and neck from his misshapen mouth. I could see him grinding his jaw to crunch on the shell. I wanted to vomit, or scream, or both, but I was frozen, watching as he devoured a raw egg, shell and all. When I snapped out of it, I screamed so loud that the man turned his head to look at me. He didn't react. He kept on eating, teeth grinding, yolk flowing, staring intensely. I bolted from the barn, across the soggy green lawn, up the back wooden steps, and into the house. I slammed the door shut and locked it behind me. My heart was beating wildly against my ribcage. I was terrified for my dogs, feeling guilty for leaving them out there with the sky. I pulled the corner of the little white curtain back from the window on the door and peeked out to see if the dogs were okay. The weird man was just standing there in the middle of the yard, staring intensely at the back door as my dogs licked bits of raw egg from his fingertips. I started shaking really bad at this point. He was friendly with my dogs. They didn't see him as a threat. I was not safe. I needed to call for help. As I went for the phone, I could hear him begin to babble loudly again. With shaking fingers, I dialed my mother's work number. The babbling was getting closer and louder. I trembled harder and harder. I could barely speak when my mother answered, but I managed to choke out that I needed help. There was a man on the property. She told me to go upstairs, lock myself in the bedroom, and hide under the bed until either herself or a police officer came to get me. She promptly hung up on me and called the police. The man was stomping up the back steps now, babbling non-stop, and began to bash on the door. I bolted upstairs to my bedroom, locked the door as directed, and wriggled under the bed. I made sure not even a toe was poking out as I lay there hoping that I wouldn't die. It would be school holidays in a few weeks, and I didn't want to be dead for that. The weird guy made his way around the outside of the house. I could hear him bashing on windows, babbling through noises of frustration, and screaming unintelligible phrases at what I assumed was me. This guy wanted in and I was just waiting for the shattering of a glass window or the kicking in of the back door. Fear does strange things to your memory. I don't even know how long I was hiding and listening to him for. It didn't feel like too long though, because the next thing I remember is the police arriving. I could hear them talking to the guy and asking him questions. He didn't respond to their questions, but the babbling sounds seemed panicked and louder. I decided to creep downstairs and look through the window, 
feeling safer now. I could see my mother running down our dirt driveway. She looked panicked as she burst into the house to get me. She wouldn't stop hugging and kissing me as the police questioned me, and it was embarrassing. The backup they called for arrived and the police took the guy with them to the station. Before they left, they assured my mother that they would be in touch to let her know what would happen from there. She seemed pretty intent on pressing charges. A week later, the same two police officers came back to our house. They explained that the guy on our property had been secretly living in our barn at night and hiding in the woods during the day for a couple of months. Many people had seen him on the trail during summer as they walked it. He was homeless and usually harmless. That explained why the dogs weren't worried about him being on the property. He had befriended them. He had mental disorders and a history of being in and out of the hospital. He had gone off his medication and experienced a mental break while hiding out on the property. They explained that the guy had started to hide in our barn only when the weather had started getting colder, as he had nowhere else to go. His elderly mother had died a few years earlier, and he had no caretaker to look out for him. He was a sick man just trying to survive. This story ends 27 years later at his funeral. The man who we call Jim got the help he needed with the support of my mother. He went back on his medication and disability pension. My mother helped him find a small place in town and made the security payment on it so he could rent it. Jim became a volunteer on our property, helping my mother and me tend to the animals. And eventually, he got a few paid hours a week at the vet clinic helping to clean and maintain the site. It wasn't always smooth sailing. Jim was a sick man and sometimes he could have episodes, but for the most part, the last half of his life turned out to be pretty good. He gained friends in town, support from his community, a job and a home, and people were always around to look out for him. We buried our friend Jim last week. For someone who started out scaring the shit out of us and who had nothing and no one in his life, he made a lasting impact on all of us, especially the animals that he loved so much. Sometimes, you think you'd never want to encounter a creepy person again. And most of the time, you're probably right in feeling that way. But Jim deserved a second chance. He wasn't a malicious person. He just needed a helping hand back to normalcy. Support for this episode comes from Audible. You guys already love podcasts, so I'd be willing to bet you'll love Audible too. They have the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. I just finished The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. It's the shocking true story of serial killer Ted Bundy. And this is an excellent follow-up to our very first episode with Kathy Kleiner. I binged this whole book in probably three days. They have all your favorite genres, bestsellers, mysteries, dramas, and everything in between. The best part of Audible for me is you can listen on the go, wherever you are. Whether you're driving or working out, whatever it may be, this is a game changer. Audible members get to choose one audiobook every month, regardless of price, as well as two Audible originals you can't get anywhere else. 
You can enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library you keep forever, and you can access anytime, anywhere. You can get started with a 30-day free trial, and you'll get your first audiobook as well as two Audible originals completely free by visiting audibletrial.com disturbed. Again, that's audibletrial.com disturbed. This story is Another Personal Experience by Alexandria Tucker. I was 15 and a half and on a flight from San Francisco to Philadelphia to visit my boyfriend who was starting college on the East Coast. While I was curving in all the right places, I was also very clearly still a child. I even mentioned to my seatmate casually in passing that I was on a high school break visiting my newly graduated high school boyfriend to help him move in to college. About an hour into the flight, I fell asleep with my sunglasses on. I woke up with something feeling off, but I felt confused about what awoke me when I realized the presence of pressure on my leg and the back and forth movement of a man's hand on my upper inner thigh area. And I... I froze. I didn't scream, I didn't even say no. Actually, for what felt like eons but was probably seconds, I pretended to still be asleep. Then I, fake, woke up with a start and he immediately pulled his hand back and looked nonchalantly out the window, pretending like it never even happened. I went to the restroom, confused but also aware that I had to be anywhere else besides him right now. My father, who wasn't really much of a father but more of an uncle at that point in my life, who had agreed to fly down to accompany me to visit my college boyfriend, had made me buy my own ticket so we'd sat separately. He was about 10 rows back with my stepmother, and I awkwardly crouched next to him and told him what had happened, all the whole while looking furiously ahead as the man was starting to look behind and around him, presumably looking for me as I'd probably been gone for about 10 minutes. Well, after telling my father what happened, he informed a flight attendant, who informed the pilot, and when the plane landed, multiple police officers came in and the pilot told everyone to stay seated. Two agents, or maybe they were local officers, I'm not exactly sure, escorted us off the plane, and the guy was silent the whole time, as were we, as was the plane. They took us on golf carts to the airport office, and then somehow we ended up behind the creepy guy's golf cart, and he was facing back, so he just was staring back at me the whole ride to the airport police station. So that was very creepy and awkward because the man who had just felt me up was now sitting facing backwards on a golf cart staring at me facing forwards on a golf cart behind him on his way to go be fully arrested and charged with basically molesting a minor. Very awkward. It took forever and I don't really remember how long after but it was at least a year until he was finally brought into court. Jurisdiction was fuzzy for some reason. You'd think they would have worked that out before the trial but there ended up being two separate trials and I had to fly to Pennsylvania for each one. He ended up claiming I put my head on his shoulder and that made him think that I was flirting with him and coming on to him and therefore he thought it was okay to put his hand in between my legs but I definitely would have never fallen asleep with my head on anyone's shoulder and when I woke up my head was not on his shoulder. Obviously the guy was worried though because he pled to a lesser charge that would keep him off a sex offenders list. Something that in hindsight especially as a teacher and a mother is really frustrating for me and I wish I'd pushed for more, but it was really not my choice. 
got felt up by a creepy middle-aged man, don't sleep on planes, trains, or public automobiles. This last story is a real Reddit submission by user Gabe Terade. Yesterday, I was walking back home after hanging out with some friends, and before anyone asks, I was completely sober and in my right mind. I've never been afraid to walk alone in the dark. I'm quite tall and intimidating looking from a distance, and I always bring a pocket knife when I know I'll be walking in the dark. Anyway, I was walking past some woods on the way back home, and I heard my mother's voice call, Gabriel, Gabriel, help, from inside the woods. I immediately recognized her voice and turned to look into the woods. She kept calling my name over and over. I couldn't see anything. It was far too dark to see through the trees. Mom? I called back, heading towards the woods. She sounded like she was in trouble and scared. I assumed that she had gone for a run like she did every night and somehow got lost in the woods. Then, I realized it couldn't be her. She had texted me only 10 minutes before, asking me to come home soon to watch my little sister so she could go for a run. I stopped dead in my tracks and called my mom, the voice in the woods still calling my name and getting more frantic by the second. She picked up and I immediately asked her if she was in the woods. She said no. She was back home with my little sister. I swear to God. As soon as she said she was back home, her voice stopped calling my name from inside the woods. I was overcome with a wave of dread and fear like I had never felt before. Something in the woods was trying to lure me in using my mother's voice and it knew my full name, not just my nickname, which made things even scarier because the only person who calls me Gabriel is my mom. I immediately turned and ran faster than I have ever run before back home. When I got home, my legs felt like jello and my lungs burnt. I opened the door and there was my mom sitting on the couch with my sister. I would think this was some sort of prank, but my mom isn't one for pranks. And even if she was, there's no way she could have gotten home before me without seeing her. My only question is, what was in the woods? You've been listening to Disturbed. You can see more info on our website, disturbedpodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, help us grow by sharing the show with a friend. And make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening so you always get the newest episodes automatically. You can support the show over at our Patreon fan club, and in return you'll get exclusive perks like ad-free episodes, shoutouts, 
early access, bonus episodes, and 15 to 20% off any merch store order. So get in the fan club now at disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club. And speaking of merch, go grab yourself an official Disturbed t-shirt, hoodie, or phone case over at disturbedpodcast.com slash shop. Remember, our brand new hotline is now live. This is where you can submit your very own true disturbing encounters. Give us a call at 701-712-8008. You can also contact us through our website. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod to stay up to date with all the latest Disturbed news. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.